Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is uh, dedicated <clears throat> for the speedy and complete for Ashima, for Rabbi uh, Eliyah Badia, the Ashimah Ben Mazaf for the continued health of Rabbi Chanafarchi Chanabat Sabafega. In loving memory of Sami Ibani, Alava Shalom Lilun Shmat, Shmuel Ben Chana, who always exemplified warmth, generosity, and dedication to his family and friends and was loved by all, dedicated by his family. And also in loving memory of Sam Ibani, Lilun Shmat Shmuel Ben Chana, by Mar- uh, Margie and Robert Turner. And finally, the week of Kobe was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do today and every day. Just to clarify, David E. Ash does not like cold brew. He does it because the people do, and he wants to inspire their capacity to do today and every day. <laughs> Let's begin. So my friends, we have a beautiful mitzvah coming before us, the mitzvah of sukkah. Now the Zohar writes, B'tzilo chamadti v'yashavti, in his shade, B'tzilo chimadti, did I want to, I desired it, v'yashavti, and I sat. Uh, and his fruit was so sweet to my, to my uh, palate, okay? Now, the Zohar understood in that, that there was a Kabbalistic a, uh, infer- an inference to this idea that that I, I desired to sit in the, uh, in the shade, in the, sh- in the shadow, so to speak, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what's Upiryo and his fruit, Matok Lehaiki? What's his fruit if it's talking about Sukkot? It's talking about the Arba Minim, the four, uh, the four species. So, shh. So I want to say that there's something here which is really interesting. Because the Zohar is pointing out that this Pasuk refers to Sukkot. But let's look carefully at the Pasuk. It does not say, Bitzilo Chimadati Lashevet, which would mean, in his shadow, I desired to sit. It doesn't say that. It says, Bisilo himadti. In his shadow, I desired. Via shafti. And I sat. What's the difference between those two things? Desiring to sit in his shadow or desiring God's shadow, via shafti. And I sat. I think that there's um, a fundamental concept here that needs to be explored. <clears throat> you know, I want to maybe, if I could, just, you know, just draw a point on this. We know that the sukkah is considered to be the protection of God. We know that. That's a person is sitting in the shadow of uh, of emuna. person that sits in the sukkah they're in the shadow of Emunah. What is the idea? What does a shadow actually refer to over here? What do we mean the shade of Hashem? The shadow of Hashem? What is that idea? Sorry? Excellent. Number one, you have to be close enough. True. Yes. What else? It says it by Yonah, exactly. By the Kikayon. The shade is something that protects something, tzilo, right? It protects a person from, from the rain, from other elements, okay? So the concept of schach and the idea of shade, it protects somebody from something, all right? So what's the shade of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You're under God's protection. That's the idea. So yes? 
Protection from what? Good question. From maybe from negative things, from people trying to hurt him, who knows? Okay? From elements. So I always thought this was really interesting, okay? Because just bear with me for one second. Because we all have this idea, we all have this idea sitting in the shade of Emunah. We all have this idea. We know that a person in a sukkah, you have to have schach enough that tzilato, mirubah, mehamato, there needs to be more shade halachically in the sukkah than sun. All right? That's how you know that there's not enough shade in the sukkah if there's more shade, if there's more sun than shade. So the whole concept of the sukkah revolves around shade. It's that interesting, right? So I want to say something I think is really simple. A shadow is cast by something that's standing in between you and the sun, or in between you and a source of light. That's what a shadow is. Okay? So when we talk about standing in the shadow of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's a very strange concept. If you told me that you were standing in the light of God, I would understand that. Right? We would imagine that Hashem is the source of light. The concept that you're standing in God's shadow is a strange idea. What's the source of light then? God is not the source of that light? There's something, some other source of light that Hashem is like in the way of? What, what are we, what's the description here? What are we talking about? So I think that there's something which is, uh, something which is very interesting. When we talk about light, always, when we talk about light in Torah terms, what is light always compared to? Torah, Torah excellent. Orah, zu, Torah. Orah is Torah. The light that we refer to when we talk about God refers to that which is just, that which is correct, that which is right. That's the light, if you will, of God. Everything which is not that, darkness is what? The absence of Kiddushah, the absence of holiness, that's the concept of darkness. In fact, um, the Midrash says, Vechoshech al Tehom describes, the Pasuk in Bereshit says, that there was Choshech al Tehom. Tohu vavohu, Choshech al Tehom. What are these things? Okay. These things represent, says the Gemara, the four different Galuyot, the four different exiles of the Jewish people. In each exile, there was a distinct type of darkness or separation from light. Because in every scenario, the, the, the negative impact of that particular culture or civilization was pulling us away from the purest light. Is that, is it, am I making sense? So effectively, when a person sits on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right? Le David Amonai Ori Yishi. What is Ori? Right? The Gemara asks, what is Ori? We read it the whole, some people do it the whole Elul, some people do Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, that's Ori Yishi. There's a light when we talk about justice. Because that course correct back to purity, to the right way, that's light. But, Yom, but after we go through Yom Kippur, we start to experience HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Rachamanut, His mercy, His kindness. He's saying to us, I had to judge you on Rosh Hashanah. I needed to correct you. I needed to fix you. I needed to make sure that you understood that your actions actually matter and that there's ramifications. But now we come and Hashem says, Rohi, it's enough. Come home. 
stay with me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, shields us from His own light. That's what it means to be in the shadow, so to speak, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The light is the Torah, the correct way, everything as it is, but in its purest sense. The Gemara tells us that when God said, let there be light, the light that appeared was too strong. Anyone remember this? And God needed to hide away some of that primordial light for the tzaddikim. God needed to hide it away. Why is that? What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that God in His purest light was not something that our world with human beings and frailties, with human beings' desires, with the things that distract us, it wasn't an ideal that we could even begin to live up to. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, needed to sheath some of that light to be able to allow us a light that was attainable, a light that we could strive for. You know, a lot of times you have people who are striving for perfection. But the crazy thing is that a lot of times when people strive for perfection, what winds up happening is not only do they not make it to perfection, what happens? They give up hope. Because to do the job on that level, it's impossible. So since it's impossible, why would I even try? Is that? Does this making sense? So therefore, when we talk about Sukkot, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, shields us from His own light and allows us to live in this still a tremendous amount of light in your sukkah of natural light. But at the same time, there's still the ability that the person has to be able to exist, to be able to try and strive for that. It's something which is attainable. In this place, in this sukkah, is God's protection. In this place is a protection for someone like you and me who maybe doesn't deserve only the protection of perfection, but deserves the protection of God shielding us. So in your question, shielding us from who? Shielding us from what? It's shielding us effectively from his higher midat hadin, his uh, attribute of justice, of judgment, and allows us to be able to be with our imperfections, allows us to be at the table connected, even if we are flawed. My friends, I think that one of the things that you hear people say, you ask somebody, you know, oh, you know this guy? Me, sure. He and I, we're very close. What does the word very close mean? Very close. You're very close? I don't see him next to you. What does the terminology of very close mean? I feel so close to this person. What does that mean? We use these words, very interesting. I feel connected. What are you, Siamese twins? What is this definition? The idea of connectivity, of connection, is that we share, you and I, closeness, we share, you and I, some element of synonymous values. This, the things that you care about, things that I care about, are the same. They're very close. There's not a great space of difference between those two things. Closeness in general between two human beings describes not geographical places on a map. And if you ever wanted to prove that, right, the closest person to you might be a person that you really don't like at all. And exhibit A for that is the subway. Is there any place where people are closer together 
yet feel much as far apart as Basel. You're thinking you want this guy out of your life as soon as you can run away from him, right? Closest does not mean geographical closeness. It means that in our minds and in our hearts, there's enough similarities that we take up the same space, the same place in our directional values, in our compass-driven lives. So my friends, the concept of a sukkah, the idea of a sukkah, is to sit in the shade of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Is to say, you know something, I've done things that are wrong, but I feel close to Borei Olam. I feel close to God. He and I, we live at the same address. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. You're looking for someone's phone number, right? You put in their phone number, right? You hope that the guy's kids don't live with him, right? But sometimes they do. But so, even if they don't live with him, even if they don't live with him, 30, 40, 50 years old, they're not living at home. Their name a lot of times still appears on the same address as their childhood home. Yeah? That's the idea. That many times, oftentimes, the way we decide whether we're close to someone or not is, what do we say? I feel, I feel close. I feel. I feel connected. Who is the arbiter of that closeness then? You are. Not even by the actual closeness, but by the feeling of that closeness. That's what the pasuk means. It's not that I wanted to sit in his protection. It's that I wanted him. And the protection was my want of him. Do you understand the fundamental difference of bitzilo chimaditi or bitzilo chimaditi lashevet? The difference is I want to be close to my father. And then if I'm close to my father, my father gives me a business loan. My father gives me this. My father has all sorts of benefits. When you're close to your father who loves you and he has the wherewithal to be able to give you something. Not every father does, but if he does, he might. Imagine you got close to your father for those reasons. Imagine you got close to your father to get from him, to take from him. In fact, that actually creates, instead of closeness, distance. What am I? I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay? You okay? Oh. What am I? A candy machine? That's what I am? I'm a soda dispenser? When the closeness comes from what I get, there's actually a push back, a push away. And when the closeness comes because you want me, you want to be with me, then what happens? All the gifts, they come, but they come without even thinking. They come because you're there. Let me ask you a question. Imagine, <clears throat> imagine someone comes to your house, hanging out, having a good time. It comes time for lunch. Is it feasible, feasible that the guy would go prepare lunch and bring out lunch while you're there? Feasible, right? Imagine you called them and said, can I come over? I just want to eat lunch. What do you mean? What do you, what do you want to come over? I just want to eat lunch. I'm just going to come. I have a busy day. I don't have time to go make lunch. I just want to come to your house and I want you to prepare lunch for me. No one wants to do that. You feel taken advantage of. That's the idea of My friends, according to this, I think we start to understand the larger theme of Sukkot in a sharper way. That's why there's an idea on Sukkot specifically 
of taking all four of the species, whether it represents the most righteous in the Etrog, or it represents the least righteous in the Arava, in that space, in the space of Sukkot, there's place for everybody. The Torah uses a very strange terminology when it comes to the Sukkah. Called Ezrach Yisrael. Yeshua doesn't say every Jew sits. It doesn't say call Yisrael Yeshvu. It says call Ezrach. That's a very weird term. Why would you use that word? The answer is because the bar for getting into the sukkah, to being part of God's house, is so low. You have a child, and the child is strayed from the right path. You have a child, and the child is not making you so proud at the moment. You have a child, the child's getting into all sorts of trouble. They never lose a place in your house. They never lose a place in your house, in your heart. So Hashem says, if this is my shade, who comes here? Any of my children. Any. They could be the worst Arava. Arava is the same letters as Avera. And there's still a space for them here. There's still a place at my table. Now, there's one condition. And this is so interesting to me. What's the one condition? What's the one condition of coming into the Sukkah then? If everyone's allowed to come in, what's the one condition? The one condition is very interesting halakha. The halakha is that when you sit in the sukkah, the person has supposed to look up at the schach. They need to remember that God took us out of Egypt, or that God put us in Sukkot, or that God put us in the Anani Akavot. They have to look up and be able to see God. That's the idea. How do we know this? Let's say I have a sukkah where the schach is more than 20 ama, 20 cubits, which is around 40 feet above him in the air. So if you have a giant roof of a sukkah, 40 feet high, and you cover it with schach, or let's say you have four buildings and there's a courtyard in the middle and you think, brilliant, I'll just cover these four skyscrapers with tzchach and then I have a sukkah all the way down there. Halakha is pasu. Why? Not because of the walls. Not because of the walls. Because of what? Because you can't see the tzchach. Now if you looked up, you could see it. What's the problem? The problem is we're trying to include people who don't naturally look up. We're trying to include a person whose way in life is not to look and see Hashem. So what did we do? We made the schach low enough that if you're sitting in a small sukkah, you'd still be able to see the sukkah peripherally, that there's schach. Without even attempting to look up, you should be able to see that there's schach above. You should be able to draw that connection. So there's one condition for every person to have a place. And that condition is, are they looking? Are they seeking? Are they searching for God? Can they see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in their life? A father is no different. You need to move back home. I love you. Fadal. You need a, you need a, there's a problem, there's an issue. Fadal. I love you. But imagine a child comes, moves into the house, ignores his parents, pretends like this is his place, runs around or her place. You understand? Is there anything more annoying than that? God says, I'll have you no matter what you're like, so long as you can recognize me as your father. That's it. You and where you are doesn't matter. So long as you recognize where you are vis-a-vis me. That I am your father. That I'll back you. And that, my friends, is why 
we pick a very interesting thing. What is the mitzvah of Sukkot supposed to be about? Kibbe Sukkot or Shafti, because I put your parents in Sukkot, when I took you out, the land of Egypt. Now it's interesting, why do we have a holiday to celebrate this particular miracle? That's what we're celebrating. Why, there's a million miracles that God did all throughout Jewish history. Why do we choose this one miracle and that gives us a whole holiday? What's the reason for that? Did that ever bother you? How many miracles do we have that are not celebrated? There isn't a holiday just for the man. Right? Why not? There isn't that, right? There isn't the holiday just for the water. We do something for the water on the holiday, but it's not the holiday of water. You know what the answer is? Because one of the most important things God was trying to communicate to the Jewish people is when did I take you into my home? When I took you out of Mitzrayim, when you had no mitzvot, when I had to give you one mitzvah just so you could have one thing that you did right. The guy has nothing. Am Yisrael was bereft of Zechuyot. And Hashem took us into his house at that point. When did I sit you in Sukkot? When I took you out of Egypt, I sat you in Sukkot. A person, when they come into the Sukkot for the first time, is supposed to feel that tremendous gratitude to say, God, you know something? I know who I am. I don't know if anyone else knows. I don't know if my friends know. I don't know if my community knows. I don't know if my children, my wife know. I know my deficiencies. And God, you let me come to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You're willing to take me back home. When I walk into the sukkah the first time, I feel like holding out my hands like this and giving Hashem a hug in His house. It's the feeling of coming home to your loving Father who accepts you as you are, who loves you as you are. And the only thing he asks of you is that you look up. Guys, I want to ask for an interesting, uh, an interesting request. How many people here have Sukkot that they're going to be building? One, two, three, two and a half. Exactly the halakha, two and a half. Very few people. Why? Not because you don't care about Sukkot, but because you live in Manhattan. The building doesn't allow, building doesn't allow it. You can't have a Sukkot on the roof. You might not have a porch outside that's not covered. So you know where is you? Where are you going to build a Sukkot? So my friends, what are you going to do? Here. You're going to go to some Sukkot of the synagogue. You're going to go to a Sukkot of Chabad. You're going to find a place to be able to go to a Sukkot to fulfill the mitzvah. But I want to ask you, that's all well and good. But you didn't build the sukkah. Right? It says, Basukot Teshu Shabbat Yamim. Let's say, as an example, it doesn't have a sukkah. So, when are you going to be strict to eat in the sukkah? When you have to eat bread, you're going to eat shakol, not in the sukkah. You're going to, right? That's what's going to happen. So, my friends, at least we should be cognizant of the building of the sukkah itself, even if we can't have a sukkah. To be able to try and rebuild this relationship. Let's be honest, you know why Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur had to come around? Because we forgot Hashem was in our life. Every time you sin, you don't sin with Hashem. Right? You forget Him, or you lock Him in a closet. You stay here. 
there's something I need to take care of. I don't need you to see this. So what do we do? The sin itself requires a person to build distance between him and Hashem. So after Rosh Hashanah and after Yom Kippur, when Hashem has allowed us to get through that Bishalom, we come to Hashem, we say we're moving back in. We're, re, we're rebuilding those bonds. So if you were not able to build an actual sukkah, because you don't have a space to build a sukkah, so take a lesson, grab a page out of the sukkah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had us build in the desert, the Mishkan, where the Mishkan, as the Pasuk says, you will build the Beit HaMikdash, you will build the Mishkan, right? And I will dwell inside of you. Work on your connection already from now. On your connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, With looking up. Work on your connection. Asking Hashem for things. Noticing Hashem in things. Bringing Hashem into things. The more you're able to do that, the more the person feels close. And the minute you have that desire of then what happens? What does Hashem say? Fadal, come sit. And when you're sitting at God's table, what delicacy is not there? What problem does he not take care of? He pulls out the best food, the best delicacies, the best scotch, the best berachot. Why? Because you're a, a treasured guest, a beloved son who's coming home to see his father. You know, every time I go home, if I'm there ever for Shabbat, what does my mother say? What are you in the mood of? Now, what do you want to have? You come to your parents, and, and they know that you love them, and you want to be with them. What do they want to do? All they want to do is give. What do you want? What do you want me to prepare? What can I put on the table? So we walk into Sukkot. The visual image is, you're walking back home, right? You're walking through the front door, and you're giving your dad a big hug. That's the concept. And if we don't have a Sukkah, or even if we do, we can spend the time between now and Sukkot and on the holiday itself in remembering to look up and remembering to be able to repair that relationship and bring Hashem into every minute of every day. Everyone thinks that this idea of Baruch Hashem, Inshallah, Mashallah, is just things that we happen to say. You know why we say that? So that in every other sentence, we're mentioning God. That's the reason. Inshallah, Mashallah, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, you understand? Saying that more brings it into the reality, as long as that's what you're thinking. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.